I'm ready. All right, all right. And we are back. You got the KK and you got the doc. What's up, doc? Hey, KK, how you doing? I'm doing good, you know. Not, not, I, I can't complain. How about that? Yeah, well, nothing much has changed here, probably since our last podcast. I'm still drinking rum. Um, good rum. It's delicious rum. I actually picked it up when I was in the Caribbean last year, I want to say, but I don't want our listeners to hate on me for it. I try to get out of this godforsaken land as often as I can, and I'd love to move out of the U.S. just because our capitalism sucks, but <laughs> hey, whatever. Well, I I, I I would move just for the rum, probably. <laughs> That's me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something I've been uh, meaning to mention on the podcast. Our listeners may see the doc as being an alcoholic. I am not an alcoholic. I swear. I enjoy having a drink when you and I talk and stuff like that. But I swear to God, I'm not an alcoholic. And I would never encourage any of our listeners to ever even touch a drop of alcohol. There, did I, I cover my ass? <laughs> I think so. Um, I would say you're you're not alcoholic, but I will say that you definitely enjoy food and drink, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that everybody should enjoy food and drink. It's what separates us from the animals. Allegedly. They don't enjoy their food. Are you saying they don't enjoy their food? It's not the same. They they you don't know, never see a, a you know a lion lioness jumping on prey and putting some salt and pepper on and maybe doing a nice glaze with the side <laughs> you know of this or that. So I'm they do enjoyment might not be the right word for that. They're getting nutrition. You never see them sitting around a campfire and you know adding some potatoes to their a side of potatoes with maybe a little bit of bacon. That's true. But whenever I see a buzzard going after some roadkill, they always invite their friends because they're always having such a good time. It's always a group of buzzards. You never see one buzzard there, do you? I will have to pay more attention (laughs) because clearly I don't think I have a comment about that exactly. But I'm sure I will believe you, at least for now. Um, and then I'll roam around a little later and try to verify that. But that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. We were going to jump into a little bit of the fourth turning. Yeah. And actually, our last podcast was a, a bit of a book report on, I mean, really a short story report on the story uh, Mana, right, yep. by Marshall Brain which hopefully our listeners may have had a chance to read and comment on. Here we have another book report, and it's actually one that I gave to another group uh, a while ago. But it's on the book, The Fourth Turning, and we've mentioned this before. But for those that haven't read this, let me just try to do a a brief book report on what it's about and, and the basic concepts here, right? So this was written by a couple of guys back in 1997, I think it came out. And their whole theory was that history is not a linear progression, like how we were taught in school. Our lives keep getting better and better because of technology. 
we've explored more of the world over time and we got to the moon and space exploration and it will only get better and that kind of stuff. The premise of this book is that no history is cyclical. Mm, Yep. They lay out a, a pretty convincing case for a cycle being 85 to 100, maybe 105 years, depending on the cycle, and how it was actually posited out there like 4,000 BC by the Etruscans, who estimated that their own civilization would last for 10 of these cycles. If you look at 85 to 100 years, it's basically the length of life of a very old person. So by the time the oldest person of a generation dies, all of the knowledge of what happened 85 years ago is gone. Any Mm -hmm. firsthand knowledge of it. That's kind of how they base this overall cycle, which they call the saculum. That's the cycle. That's how long it lasts. It represents the longest human life. Then they broke this cycle down into four parts, which they called turnings. Let's say the first turning is a time of relative peace. You have community. Everybody is kind of working towards the common good. There isn't a lot of space spiritual stuff going on. The churches are basically all in line with the government. Everybody is, well, being a Stepford wife, maybe. Everybody's in lockstep and things flourish, really things flourish because everybody is living communally. Then you move into the second turning, which is like the next 20 or 25 years. And you have the next generation coming up that is kind of rebelling against this whole Stepford wife kind of attitude. They're starting to look at things a little more spiritually, a little more morally. What is really good for society? They're, they're questioning institutions, the government. They're questioning the, the government and the way things are working. They call that the awakening. And then you move into the third turning, which is kind of an unraveling. You may have had like some kind of a mini crisis, a mini spiritual crisis at the end of the awakening. Things are starting to decay. People have lost faith in their institutions, in their government, maybe even in their churches, in those kind of things, society is starting to unravel. Finally, you come to the fourth turning and things have gotten out of control where there is no compromise in politics. You have economics where you have maybe huge wealth inequality, you know, like they did during the Roaring Twenties leading up to the Great Depression. The, the unraveling is reaching its natural conclusion, and there is some kind of catastrophe, typically a war, where once you're all done with that, 
society reemerges completely changed. Let me just point out here that they were talking in particular about Western history, European, uh, starting in like the late 1400s. They go all the way back and trace these cycles back to the late 1400s. Then once the U.S. came along or was colonized, once America was colonized by the French and the Spanish and the English, then they kind of shifted where they looked at the cycles to over here in America. So really, since early 1700s, let's say, they focused more on how the cycles have played out over here in America. So that's the first part of the book. They were explaining the what. I mean, what is actually happening? And they're backing it up with some great cultural references people that, you know, represented the various generations and that kind of stuff. But then what they did after that was they tried to say why it was like this. They got into their whole theory about how each generation is raised, not only with respect to their parents, who would typically be like, two generations earlier, but also the particular turning, the particular phase of the cycle that they were raised in. And of course, you can see that there's lots of permutations here. Now you're talking about four generations, say, progressing through a cycle, and you have this natural cycle Anyway, of a like a calming, going to an awakening, going to an unraveling, going to a catastrophe kind of a thing. So it gets pretty complex, but that really is the premise of the whole book. Right. And it, it is interesting because you can see like, OK, I think everyone can dial into like where we're kind of at right the second. So looking like for after the war. GIs came back and they had a bunch of kids. And that's our boomers now, right? Wait, hold on. Go Let, ahead. You Well, you need to start by saying we're talking about the Second World War. Right. right? I'm sorry. None of our kids have really lived through any real war. I right. haven't lived through any real war. But let's say that the Second World War ended the previous cycle. Right. And Vietnam was more a culmination of the awakening turning. That was boomers getting out there and protesting against the war. That was the awakening. That was not the catastrophe. So I just wanted to throw that in there. And you're right. You're right. And and throw those in anytime you want. Because, again, I, I have kind of read it. And, and it's a lot. It's a, it is a lot. It's almost like, where do you start with this? But we'll just kind of start with, with people that we know. It, we can identify with. So again, um, the guys come back from war and they have a bunch of kids. They're the boomers now are, are actually considered like the profit generation. When I say profit, I mean P R O P H E T. The other thing might be true too, but let's just they're they're the, they're considered the profit generation, right? They're born into a community that's kind of like rejuvenated. So that's where it starts. That's where, you know, 
it starts. So this is a, um, they've already seen it decline and that's all done. And now they come back, they have a bunch of kids because time is good. This is that rejuvenation. And then they, you know, they go off and they have kids and that's considered like our nomad or Gen Xers. That's, they're born during this spiritual awakening, right? They're considered the kids that were kind of like latchkey kids and stuff, uh, forgotten. Gen Xers are kind of like the Hellraisers, kind of rebellious youth kind of things. Then we move into they have kids and those are our millennials, which are millennials are our hero generation. So they're born after that spiritual awakening. Then they will lead into and they will have kids that are the what they're calling the homelanders. That's our Gen Z's. They consider them the silent generation or the artist generation. And they're the ones that would be still being born during this great historical crisis, right? Whatever it is, a war, it could be economic, it could be anything like this could be economic crisis that they're running into. But that's what we're talking about kind of right now, right? That would be right the second that this is happening or going to occur. It's already started and we're in the middle of it. However, that looks. Every generation has characteristics based on who raised them and during this time that they were raised. It's interesting because if you go back and go back to the generations before us, it's it's very mirrored. And I, I definitely do see the sim. I mean, I, I can look at mine and go, yeah, that's 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 true. A lot of that is true of how I was raised and how I react to things. All these different generations, of course have different jobs because as, as as something declines and you have an event you have certain people that have to get the ball rolling on uh, whether it's economic growth or rebuilding or fighting or bringing this crisis to an end and that's our millennials so people might be surprised about that yeah and you know there's an interesting observation that was made in that book as A generation is entering its late teens, early 20s, where they can go off and fight wars. It's the generation, two generations ago, that is now in a position to declare wars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty scary. So I admit I'm a boomer and I'm I'm a late boomer, but I'm a boomer. So it was my grandparents' generation who were the heroes of the Second World War, but they were now taking over leadership and going off and telling us to go off and fight in Vietnam. So you can see how every other generation affects every other generation. I mean, that's how you get these cycles of unraveling and building and that kind of stuff, because it's every other generation that's really determining how that future generation is going to turn out. It's really a fascinating thing to think about. But if we look at today, okay, I'm a boomer. I grew up in that period of calm, the first turning. I was born during the first turning. Everything's going good. JFK gets out there and says, we're going to the moon. That's how I was raised. Then my time of life of 
turning into a young adult and starting to maybe rebel or whatever, at least my generation did. But that is the awakening of this current cycle. That's why we were out there protesting against Vietnam and, you know, burning down cities and stuff. This is the awakening. Then the boomers turn into the consumers and the people that are making all the money in our third stage of life, which would have been the 80s and that kind of stuff. We get very individualistic and it's like, give me mine, all the bad things that the boomers turned into. I mean, just because we were protesting in our early 20s or late teens and burning things down, well, that's not how we ended up. We ended right. up the biggest conformists of all time. And now here we are in the fourth turning when things are crashing and burning. We're supposed to be the wise ones that people should look to. And to tell you the truth, I am not agreeing with the book in this instance. Nobody looks to old people for wisdom in America, and I don't think they have for quite a while. Well, but it, it is. So if you're getting into the fourth turning is now, they, they talk about when that happens, though, right? That it's this crisis that pushes the youth to look towards elders as, you know, having that knowledge and stuff. So I think it's the timing issue right now. Hmm. Well, I guess we can say that, I guess, Biden and Trump are both boomers, right? I mean, yeah. Biden, an old boomer? Um, let's see if Biden both, is... Both he, lizard. They're both what? Lizard people. <laughs> so they're both lizard people. Okay, well, whatever. I mean, maybe that's how current society is looking towards old people for wisdom. I don't think it has anything to do with that, of course. But supposedly, boomers in the fourth turning are supposed to be the wise ones. So I think we ought to take a look at how Gen X progressed through this, right? That's you guys. Right. And, so, and we're considered the nomads because we grew up kind of as the unprotected children. Again, like Lud Latchkey kids, right? It, we're, we're the alien, the alienated young adults in a post-awakening world, right? <laughs> they talk about like, Every generation, every generation has their their endowments or their you know what their foundations, right? And ours are like liberty, survival, and honor. But we're like the realists. Okay, you know? but the the key here is that nobody else cares. There's just not <laughs> enough of you. There, well, there's not enough of you. There were lots of boomers. That's why they call it the baby boom, right? A boomer who has absolutely just taken all of our resources. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, though. They call us it the is. baby boom because there were just a ton of us out there. And as we move through our lives, that's where all of the marketing was targeted because we were the biggest market. When Gen X came along, we weren't your parents. I mean, yeah, the no. the older boomers were your parents, but you also right. had 
the previous, the GI yeah. generation. Yep, both. That were your parents as well. But yeah, there just weren't that many of you for society to really care <laughs> I'm about, sorry. especially Wait, since there's that's so many boomers. Wait, there's just too many of you. We got to be honest. There's way too many boomers. It's in the name. <laughs> no, you're right. But it defines Gen X. It does. There, there weren't many of you. You were raised in the awakening, right? We introduced AIDS. You know, AIDS was coming of age as you guys are coming of age. Cocaine addiction. I mean, all this kind of stuff. What was our response? Well, it wasn't happening to us. <laughs> well, yeah, because boomers are considered the narcissistic youth. Boomers? They're, you were indulged children. Indulged. Okay. Yeah. I think it's during the unraveling, which would have been when the millennials were being raised that everybody was trying to protect their children. Right. right? That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. We're we're the opposite side of the cycle. We would have been the ones that would have been raised, yeah, go out and play, come home by dark kind of thing. Or don't come home at all. No. <laughs> Just kidding. It is interesting though, because I do think that I definitely see myself in their writing. I, I agree with them. But I think what we need to talk about, though, is how the millennials and Gen Z shows up in the book. And keep in mind that the original book was written in 95, 97. They had really no idea how millennials were being raised. Gen Z wasn't even around at that time. But they did predict what their attitudes would be. The millennials are raised as protected kids, and it's actually the boomers that are controlling the schools and what happens in the schools during this, or sorry, during the unraveling, which I think kind of ended with the Great Recession, to tell you the truth, I think that was kind of the culmination or the high point, if you could call it that, of the unraveling, the third turning. That's what the millennials were raised with. They, they talk about the millennials. like um, These have been vigorous and rational institutional builders in midlife. All have been aggressive advocates of economic prosperity and public optimism, and all have maintained a reputation for civic energy and competence to the very ends of their lives. So there's there's different characteristics, and they will apply them to each of uh, each of the different generations and why that is. I think if we look at like the what they're they're calling the homelanders, I don't like that name, but whatever. So these are our Gen Zs. These are our artists, and these are the ones that are born. Uh, they're again born now and during this crisis that's going to hit. They become like the silent generation. Our last silent generation, again, had no presidents. <laughs> so yeah. They seem to be more the administrators, but not really the emotional ones, the, the spiritual ones, the moral ones, kind of just making sure 
things go smoothly. Yeah, they they bring to the table like expertise and due process. Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams would be their mirror several years ago. <laughs> so, who the hell's going to relate to John Quincy Adams? Who doesn't? <laughs> well, I'd look more towards Martin Van Buren because he was the first president that was actually born in the United States, I think. Well, let's right see. After the revolution. Wait. Your leadership would have been, oh, you got good ones, though. You're like, you got Benjamin Franklin, which Benjamin Franklin was the, um, I'm going to be honest, he's one of my favorites. Um, but Abraham Lincoln, Herbert Hoover, Franklin Roosevelt. Damn, we have right. all the good ones, don't we? <laughs> you do. You do. Um, and yeah, because we have like John Adams and Ulysses Grant. We have George Washington, Harry Truman. Yeah, um, not my favorites. You know, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, look at Ulysses Grant. He was elected president, but he was an alcoholic. I mean, he's got to be a nomad like you. And Is who's he's the alcoholic? One? Oh, hell yeah. That's why um, he's like me? <laughs> well, no, just a rabble rouser, <laughs> and it's like, who gives a crap? Nobody That's gave right. a crap about me. I'm going to go beat up some Confederates and I'm going to drink myself to death, which I think he did, actually. There's nothing wrong with a good bar fight to put everything into perspective. <laughs> well, you know, even before that, you said John Adams, right? Well, wait. So, uh, yes, John Adams, it would be our mirror representative. To, yeah. George Washington. That's right. And if you look at George Washington, he would have been the generation before John Adams, or maybe even two generations before John right. Adams. I mean, he was like the GI hero generation. But John Adams was a rabble rouser. He wanted to start that Revolutionary War right now. So there you go. Gen X, John uh, I Adams. I, I definitely encourage people to go out and read it. And again, I, it, it's a lot. It's hard to read. So I recommend the audiobook because I read it once and then I did the audiobook and that helped me a lot. I had to get through it twice because they go through a lot of dates a lot of times because they're trying to show you or correlate this with you. Um, and, and so you can see and, and really see that timeline and you get into the groove that they're, you know, showing how this is definitely cyclical and how we've come all the way around. So I encourage everyone to go out there and read it and then give us some feedback because if they're right, and so far they've been pretty good with the millennial stuff and definitely predicting what I think is pretty accurate, but that means that a crisis is a brewing. Yeah, I think we knew that. How much time do we have? Do we want to get into... <laughs> We are so out of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe the next podcast, maybe we can continue this, this discussion a little bit. But you and I have talked on and off about what the crisis would be and how does society change after that? Obviously, my hope is that America comes out of it with a more communal approach. But if you look at the previous cycles, it seems like capitalism is always there 
once we come out of the catastrophe, what we're saying really is that if things go as this book says they go, we're not going to learn our lesson. We're going to go into the next cycle and nothing changes. So maybe we can do a podcast at some point, maybe talk about coming out of the fourth turning with more of a plan in place and people actually thinking about something other than capitalism, maybe we can get out of this whole cycle thing. I don't know. I don't know. Well, even if this is a cycle that we enter into, there's nothing wrong with starting the next cycle. Really, it's opportunity to create a foundation because I, I think based on this, that it, it seems like even if you created a utopia, that eventually it would devolve into you know, you have another crisis and another crisis and another crisis. So I don't know what that looks like, but it's definitely an opportunity to think what you would want to see come out the other side. Because like you said, having a plan in place is a target that at least, you know, what do you do when you have an economic collapse that would probably turn into some fighting inward and outward? If it's an economic crisis, which I believe it's going to be, then what does that mean? Do we turn into Russia where you have a few oligarchs and everybody is, you know, the rest of them are all like screwed up? Or does it come out like after the Second World War where everybody's pulling together? There's a much more level playing field. I mean, that's what the book says there ought to be. But sooner or later, capitalism is going to kill it. So we won't be alive to figure that out. That's probably the bummer of it. But, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be that we come out of this as, uh, you know, some some oligarch, you know, ridden machine where we're just consumers. You know, there is other opportunity out there. If you say so, I don't know, <laughs> something. Well, something's got to change. I think you and I both buy into this whole cycle thing, and there's lots of evidence for it. And that says we're just going to go into the next cycle, and really we will not have learned from history. That's the most surprising thing in that you would think there would be some thought. And, you know, again, why it comes down to cycles, though, is because when our elders, the people that knew, that remembered the wars and remembered things, uh, aren't there anymore, well, I guess we are doomed to repeat it with nobody standing there saying, hey, fool, don't touch that. It's hot. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a discussion for another day. That sounds like our next one. And I I am going to come down and see you. I, again, was, I'll come down and visit and we'll, it, it's a lot more fun when I can drink rum with you. That's true. And just in general, this is just a fun place anyway, you have to admit. Yeah, oh, for sure. Just your place is a fun place. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so any any last thoughts there doc no i'm pretty much rummed out right now um <laughs> you know we'll try to get away from the book reports in the future because we don't want to burden our listeners with too much reading material oh no 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 but you guys will have future book report uh, stuff that we read but i think this was important just because it gets us into what when we have these discussions it's nice to include the listeners because we do have discussions that get us into well, what would this look like? What would that look like? And not all of it makes it, obviously, to the cast. But I think it's a good little insight. Uh, uh, it shows them what we've been thinking about. But that's it. And everybody be healthy, happy, and wise. And peace.